Welcome to Game Over Montreal. I am Andrew Berkshire. We're covering the rarest of the rare things. A Montreal Canadiens win. Their first shootout of the season. Uh, unfortunately ended on a bad note with an injury to Caden Primo. But uh, we'll talk about that. We'll pay attention to social media and see if any updates are given on Primo. If he's uh, just was stung there or not. But uh, I got to welcome in my guest tonight, which is Mitch Brown. How you doing, Mitch? Oh, I'm doing well. Like in Montreal Canadiens victory, it, I honestly can't believe it. I know it's been a long time. It's been a very, very rarefied air this season. They're on pace for two wins every 10 games. So we got one more for the next 10 games until game 40. I don't know. The, today was, there was, they played a good game. I think that's like the biggest takeaway from this is not even necessarily the win is they deserve that game, you know, and the Flyers are a terrible team. So can't be too like uh, cocky about it, but they had to beat Carter Hart and they did. Yeah. And then of course, I mean, we look at Cole Caulfield looking fantastic throughout the majority of the game. Yes. Ulanen looked great. Um, and of course, unexpected top Montreal Canadiens prospect, Kale Clegg with a heck of a game. Yes. Yes. He was solid again tonight. He had another, he had a solid game the, the night before as well. He's you know, being boosted by the Canadians actually having a little bit of confidence in him and uh, kind of giving him reps there and figuring out that uh, he's not going to be benched every time he makes a mistake, which is which is nice because there was a couple bumps at the start of his Habs career there. I think his first or second shift, he whiffed on a play behind the net and caused a goal against. So nice to see the Canadians actually standing by him. And I think that the biggest takeaways from this game were the big performances by the young players. Like you mentioned, uh, Ulanin was really good. Uh, I mean, I guess he's not a young player anymore, but Dolphin got his first goal in, I think it was five years. Uh, so that was a nice story, which was kind of uh, Ulanen, like, shot Dolphin's stick into the puck, into the net. So it's like, he didn't really get an assist there, but maybe he should get an assist. It's an interesting little play. But uh, also, Cole Caulfield was buzzing tonight, and Caden uh, Primo uh, had... I, mean, I don't think either of the goals were necessarily on him or necessarily bad goals. Not amazing goals either. Uh, I think the second one was not great, even though it was a partial break. But solid game from him, solid game in the shootout as well. Yeah, and, and Primo made the stops that he needed to at the end of the day. Uh, that He kept them in late. He had a few big saves there, so that was a big thing. And returning to Clegg, like, there's a lot to like here. Um, just the activation, how involved he is in the play all the time how he uses the middle regularly in transition, both to get the puck out of the zone and to gain the offensive zone. Uh, and then he had that nice little play where he cut off the boards, brought the puck to the inside, split kind of split between two defenders and got a scoring chance. You know, these are things that the Montreal Canadiens defense doesn't consistently do. And when they are doing them, it's Ben Sherrod or David Savard. Of course, these are not high skill guys who are going to make the most of those opportunities. A guy like Kale Clegg will. Yeah, and that's that's what's super interesting about Kale Clegg is if he can actually hit here and become a bit of like found money and something that I think the Canadians have done a decent job of for depth players over the Bergevin era, guys like Paul Byron, where you know you could see in Calgary he had talent and he was getting things done, but 
obviously not to the extent that he was expected to or wanted to. And the Canadians picked him up and he was excellent for many years in Montreal. And, you know, maybe he will be again once he gets back off the injured reserve. We don't know. But uh, similar players like that. So if Kale Clegg can turn into that and maybe even move up the lineup, that's a nice little pickup by Jeff Gorton and co. Interesting thing. Um, what's your take on Cole Caulfield right now? Because I think he had a really good game. But you look at him in the shootout, and I know that you could tell Hart played him like he was expecting him to go high glove, and that's what Caulfield did. So it was like the whole way he was making himself huge. But to miss the net, like, I don't know, you kind of want to see Caulfield have a little bit more of, like, show some moves and pick a spot that the goalie isn't very obviously keeping away from you, like, have some confidence. And I don't know if, even though he is, he has the confidence to continually take the shot, as he did tonight repeatedly, I don't know if his shots are well-placed right now. I mean, the shootout is a tricky thing, though. You look at Claude Giroux, for example. He did the exact same thing to Primo's five hole. You know, you get a spot and you're like, okay, when is he going to give it to me? When is he going to give it to me? Oh, he didn't. You better shoot it. You know, that was my shootout move as well. So, you know, I fully understand it. Um, it but there are some low percentage shots from Caulfield that do need addressing. Of course, he's a shooter. You want him to take as many opportunities as he can get. But there were, you know, two or three that were probably a little bit questionable. And there was one that was... You had a teammate who was wide open behind you. You took a shot that had an expected goal of 0.01. And if you pass it to your teammate, he would have had like a six or 7% chance of turning that into a goal. Not to mention that he could have passed across a lot to an open teammate. So while he was dynamic, while he was creating opportunities and he was using the middle in transition, um, there were a few things that you can still kind of see that this is a, this is a frustrated player and having watched Caulfield for years in the NCA and also with the NTDP when he's in a bit of a rut, as much of a rut as you can be in when you're a goal per game guy. Uh, this is what he does. He just takes a bunch of bad shots until one of them goes in. And then eventually he kind of works himself back into the rest of the game. So I guess we could say, <clears throat> sorry, I guess we could say today is like a stepping stone towards him finding his game because he was getting good opportunities along with the bad ones. So like that's, that is good. And I think that, we, I saw him do a few things that have been rare so far this season, but we saw more in the playoffs where he gets the puck in a spot where he's kind of static, and then all of a sudden, he's just shifty as hell, and he surprises defenders, and he's into the middle of the ice, and it's probably a good thing to you know, have a bit of a nice game like that against a team like the Philadelphia Flyers, who are legitimately awful defensively, but it's good to see him trying those moves anyway, like driving to the middle of the ice, trying to get players moving, crossing through like uh, across the Royal road. So those things are good. But like you said, definitely looks very frustrated. I do wonder at what point the Canadians maybe consider sending him to the American hockey league again, because is as much as I think his overall play has improved, especially like the last 10 games or so, you got to get some goals at some point, and this team just has not been able to find goals on a consistent basis from anyone, and it's just it's a rough scene. And you look at Jeff Petrie's comments after the last game, and I'm I think they really needed to win this game specifically mentally, especially considering how well they played after those comments. But it's a frustrated group in there. Yeah, and I think 
it, with regards to sending Caulfield down, the first thing is that he did have some great plays like that one where he, he couldn't quite get the one timer off and he realized that. So he kind of pump faked it, then cut inside and he sent a chance right off the top of Hart's glove, which again, might be why he went back there in the shootout, but he's a player who's kind of based more on timing and awareness and playing off his teammates. You can see where I'm going with this linking to kind of Petrie's comments about structure. Uh, I think obviously going to the AHL will be, you know, he's going to score. He's going to play minutes. It's going to be great. I don't know if it's going to better him long-term necessarily, just because what he needs to do is figure out what's going on in the NHL along with his teammates and also get the NHL timing. Uh, that's, that's his game, right? It's about timing, awareness, arriving in the right spaces at the right time, knowing how to beat goaltenders and the AHL isn't going to give him any more experience in that necessarily. It might just result in a continuation of what we're currently seeing of just pace, shoot, pace, shoot, pace, shoot, pace, shoot, and sometimes not having the awareness to step back and pass or so on. And then as for Petrie's comments, I, I thought they were fascinating with him in particular, because this is a guy who. He activates regularly into the play. This is how predominantly he creates offense. You know, he's he's good on breakouts, but it's primarily because he gets involved and he drives in the middle, becomes an option. And while we often think of that kind of stuff, like creativity as existing, uh, you know, outside of structure, in the case of his game, it's very much within the confines of structure because he needs to know when he's going to have the opportunity to jump up. He needs to know defensive zone coverage. He needs to know who's going to be where at any given time. So then he can make those educated guesses. And as we saw, even tonight in the victory, there were a couple of opportunities where he wanted to go and there was no one there to kind of cover him or they were off dilly dallying in the corner or doing whatever. So, yeah, for him, it's a very it's a very strong or it's a very important part of his game in general, not to mention the fact that, I mean, every player benefits from some degree of structure. Yeah, absolutely. And like there was a lot of talk. Uh, in media or a- after those comments that he was basically putting it all on the coach. But if you read the full context of it, he was putting it on everyone, right? Like on yeah. himself, on his teammates, he was basically saying like, nobody is where they're supposed to be. And whether that's the coach's fault or the player's fault, like it- it's kind of everybody's fault. And, <clears throat> you know, I don't think Dom Ducharme has earned himself a free pass by any means this season. He's also been dealt a, incredibly awful hand like i think we have to be honest about that i know people are all over him wanting to be him to be fired or whatever which by the way is not happening this season because they're they're not going to pay three coaches and they're not going to bring in uh luke richardson as an interim coach while the j the interim gm slash vp of hockey operations is also an anglophone it's just it would be a media firestorm here it's just not worth it so ducharme is going to finish out the season do i think he's going to be back the following season He's going to finish out this season that like Petrie's comments. A lot of the, the stuff was taken out of context. Like you look at uh, the entirety of it and it was very much a full team call out. And I, I was a little bit surprised that Ducharme kind of seemed prickly about it because, you know, or I think he said something like, oh yeah, that was handled. Or like we, we talked about that or that was. I forget what the exact wording was, but the insinuation was like Petrie was taken aside or dressed down. But uh, I thought that was like a leadership moment for Petrie. And he hasn't been shy about calling himself out uh, this season either or any at any point in his career. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, when you're playing the big minutes, you have a nice 
contract. It's great to see those guys step up and take accountability, but they also need to go out and push their teammates. And I mean, we, unfortunately, we are in a sport where you constantly have to defer to the people above you in the power hierarchy, which are in this case, the coaches. And as a coach, you shouldn't be immune from getting criticism anyway from your players, because at the end of the day, everyone is involved in this together. You have to figure it out. If the coach can go out and be like, hey, we didn't think this guy was particularly good. It's okay for a player to turn around and be like, hey, well, I don't know what to do, or we don't know what to do as a group and so on. It's always it's always a tricky thing. And I think, you know, the younger generation of players is, is definitely going to start making uh, more comments like Petrie's rather than less of them. Yeah. Do you think Petrie's still nursing an injury? Because looking at ice time over the last couple of games since he's been back, he is being played as a fourth defenseman. Do you think that's a injury situation where they're kind of easing him in or is it a let's take some stress off this guy situation? I mean, it's, uh, yeah, if he's injured, it's probably both to some degree, I would imagine. And I mean, he's just one of these players where if you get hot, he's going to be the reason why you're hot because he's going to be involved in the middle of every single play. So you're losing games, some of them badly, you might as well just kind of, you know, uh, save them for later on in the season if, if things get interesting. I mean, speaking of uh, hot players, clearly the guy that the Canadians coaching staff thinks is the hottest player is Ben Sherratt. Big Ben Sherratt barely left the the the, uh, the ice during overtime. And like, listen, don't get me wrong. Ben Sherratt is a good skater. You know, that is one of his primary attributes. But clearly a bit of a mistake to put him out there for two straight shifts in overtime. He immediately took a penalty, which was an undisciplined call. And a weak call, let's be honest, for an overtime. And I mean, at any point, really, in the NHL season, just like dumping a guy who's slashing your goalie is a pretty weak call. But, you know, Ben Sherratt historically has had trouble with discipline and got them into a bit of an issue there. And then, you know, continued to play a bunch in the overtime. It was like, I think, the last shift that Kale Clegg got. So interesting. Do you think that's just about trade bait or are they just leaning on Sherratt because he's the guy that was there last year and he's not like quote unquote struggling like Petrie is. Well, <laughs> they definitely, they definitely trust him, but not only him, the, the archetype of Sherratt, just look at yeah. all the players they've signed in recent years. And um, yeah, he, he's a tough guy to square because there are great sequences from him, like activating off puck and getting that chance, like that he hit off the post earlier in the game. There are some good kind of down low net front defensive sequences but then there's also a lot of, of, of wandering. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lack of purpose to his game a lot of the time. And just in general, like a lack of awareness, both with and without the puck. And that's not to mention there are significant skill limitations in his game relative to the options that they have, like Clegg, for example. Yeah, that's what's kind of confusing to me about their power play setup right now. And I understand that they trust Sherratt and he has, I think, five goals this season, which is great. And I do think that he's better when he leans into a, his offensive game. But his first assist tonight in a very long time, which was basically just a, a rebound, not necessarily a, a, a great pass or anything, for him to be the guy on the first power play unit, which overall, you look at what they've done with that first power play unit, there's promise there. There's some logic to what they're setting up until you get to the back end and you have a guy like Sherratt who's not awful but lacks the puck skill ability to, and the passing ability to make that unit flow properly. 
And I wonder, like, what is the thought process with putting him there? It really, like, the cynical part of me is just like they're trying to get him more points so that they get a first round pick plus around the deadline. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. It's good asset management. And also, he shoot it good. And he shoot it good means that you get power play minutes in the NHL, right or wrong. Yeah. You know, we could like Matthias Norlander would have been a better fit there had they not sent him back. I mean, Kale Clegg is, is, I wouldn't say that he's an amazing power play guy, but he is very smooth. He manages space well, which is something that you want from your guy on the top of the power play. So, I mean, especially when you have shooting options like the Canadians do, uh, and also Nick Suzuki. So, yeah, it it could also just be that they want some sort of they don't trust anyone. So they want defense kind of back there on the power play. And they think that, you know, Hoffman and all those guys and Caulfield and everyone can can score the goals and they can let Sherratt, you know, kind of be stay at home power play guy, which would be incredibly backwards. But who knows when you have a power play that can't score at all and you're putting a guy out there to be a stay at home guy because you're trying to be cautious. Definitely not. I mean, it's a very Montreal Canadiens thing to do, as we've seen over the last several years, but definitely not what you want to see going forward, which it's is one of those WHL things... team thing to do. It is. Very yeah, much it's a WHL team thing <laughs> when you can, especially a WHL team that has like, you know, a bunch of elite forwards. So they're just like they can throw them out there and overpower teams this is essentially a four on four situation. Have one guy hang back, but the NHL is not junior hockey. You can't really play nope. that way. Uh, speaking of Norlander. We spoke uh, on the show recently about how that whole situation was handled and, you know, the injury that he suffered at the beginning of the year kind of facilitated a situation where the Canadians could keep him in the National Hockey League for an extended period of time. They basically strung him along, playing him the fewest amount of minutes they possibly could, and then send him to Laval after the deadline where he was able to just get out and go back to Sweden. Now, my cynical thought on how that happened was it was very much taking advantage of the situation and trying to force him to stay in North America when he didn't necessarily want to. And it seemed like both Norlander and his agent felt the same way based on interviews that they gave in Sweden. But as I said on that show, it was not a situation that I believed that believed that couldn't be rectified. And it seems that Jeff Gordon rectified it. They came together, met with Norlander and his agent and allowed him to go back to Sweden. Do you see that as a situation where they've kind of salvaged a bitter or possibly bitter situation and we're seeing some progress in this management group? Yes, because previous management would have fired him into the sun. (laughs) So, you know, that's a good sign. And on top of that, you know, Norlinder, he's a top prospect in the organization, obviously, and just in, in the hockey in general. I think at Elite Prospects, we had him inside the top 50. Uh, he's one of the most dynamic defensemen outside the NHL. There's a lot in his game that he has to clean up. But again, just like Caulfield, his game is largely based on timing, reads, awareness, uh, playing within a structure, playing outside a structure. He's going to have to do that in the NHL. More time in the SHL is going to help for physical maturity. It's going to help for pace, but it's not going to shorten the acclimation period to the NHL. Yeah, and it seemed like even though he was not playing a lot, he was actually getting quite a bit better. Like his first few games in the the NHL, he was an adventure defensively. Like he (laughs) really, really struggled with the smaller ice. I think he just 
constantly looked like he had he thought he had more time than he actually had and then when things got down to it he was like oh no no no!" and it was like a lot of panic in his game especially without the puck so it, it was interesting to watch him actually get better and start to push things the right way and as that happened his ice time kept getting like chopped away even more so clearly the coaching staff didn't trust him but uh interesting to see how he'll develop back in sweden i think there's uh still a really good player in there and I wonder if this situation hadn't been rectified, how it would look to a player like Jordan Harris, who the Canadians are trying to sign, and it seems like there's a possibility that they won't be able to. Yeah, I mean, him going back might end up being kind of beneficial just for the fact that there's an extra roster spot at the end of the season. Although Harris is going to fill a very different role than what Norlander is going to do. Norlander is this exceptional dynamic puck handler who constantly looks to get inside. He can make plays under immense pressure. And Harris is very much a, a smooth, but kind of keep it simple player. He's not unlike many of the players and that are already playing for their NHL team. So I think Harris will play if they do manage to sign him. I don't have any inside information on that situation, but yeah, Harris, just a, just a steady, a steady guy, probably a bottom pairing guy. Uh, losing him would obviously suck, but it's not going to be the end of the world if he does find another team. Okay, so I've, that's actually more of a KG analysis of Harris than what I've heard from a lot of people. I've seen some people say that he's like the best defenseman in the NCAA and he's like a close to can't miss prospect. So you see him more as a bottom pairing guy? Yeah, I mean... I mean, I, I saw, I also saw the quote. And I don't mean any disrespect to the coaches who said that, um, but yeah, Jake Sanderson plays in the NCAA and he could be <laughs> in the NHL playing top four minutes right now. And Owen Power could be playing top four minutes as well. So yeah, that's a tricky one. Like I personally, I don't think Harris is the best Canadians prospect on Northeastern. So yeah, I mean, Harris is going to play in the NHL. He's going to be steady. He does a lot of positive things. Uh, it's just, is he going to be a guy who's going to consistently make the best play? And when you're looking for top four defensemen, you want them to make the best play at lower levels. And he's more of a makes a positive play kind of guy. And his development hasn't been quite as sharp in recent years. Like he's, he kind of, he really, really shine like as a first year player and as a second year player. And then the offensive development has plateaued a little bit. It's not that he needs to be dynamic or anything. It's just you know, activating, passing, shooting at the right times, and his game tends to lean a lot more to deferring to his defensive partner. Um, although he has gotten a little bit better at, you know, taking pucks off the boards, bringing them to the middle, and then kind of resetting. We'll see what happens. I mean, I do understand why there is excitement about him. Just, you know, these steady kind of players, sometimes they surprise. Uh, we've seen this happen a ton. Carolina's got two of them, uh, you know, and Jacob Slavin and Brett Pesci, two kind of players who fit who fit the same mold. But they're also, for every one of those, there are 10 of those guys who were just solid AHL defensemen. So he's a tricky projection, even if at, first, even if at face value, he seems kind of like a, a, a lock to be in the NHL. Super interesting. It's, uh, it's nice to talk to prospect guys and understand like more than just what you see on like highlight packs or, or reading little blurbs, because... For me, like I've worked pretty much solely in NHL realms for six or seven years now. So like I used to cover prospects a lot more when I was doing like everything, covering the Habs like every day for Eyes on the Prize when I was starting out. But now my knowledge of prospects is extremely limited, which is why 
It's a little bit of an announcement for those who are tuning in for that. I am hosting Game Over Juniors under the banner of Game Over International during the World Juniors, but I'm hosting from the perspective of being a fan of Team Canada. For expert analysis, we need to bring in guests, and a guest on every show is going to be Mitch Brown, who knows his shit. So Mitch Brown is going to bring us some stats that he's live tracking during the games and a wealth of knowledge of the players that we're actually talking about. And I'm extremely excited to talk about the World Juniors. And I mean, obviously, because we host Game Over Montreal, there will be a bit of a specific focus on players like Caden Gooley and other Canadians prospects in the World Juniors. But we're going to cover everybody. So if you're not a Canadians fan, we'll talk about your guys, too. Don't worry. I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk about William Eklund or Cole Perfetti. There's tons of guys in there. Mason McTavish. There's some big names in this tournament that uh, there's going to be a lot of eyes on. And for Canadians fans, I think uh, we're going to be talking about Shane Wright a fair amount. And, you know, I mentioned on the Hockey Inside Out show uh, yesterday, maybe it published today, that uh, the best Christmas gift that the Canadians could receive this year is as many 2023 first round picks as they can possibly manage in selling off assets this year because they need Connor Bedard. And I'm going to have an eye on him this year, too. Yeah, I, first off, I'm super excited to join for every single every single game, especially so the story is we I applied to get credentials to go to it and they said we don't have enough seats to fit three people from your organization. I'm local media, but that's neither here nor there. I, I've just <laughs> accepted this and, and made it something far more enjoyable. Uh, and then on top of that, it's just, you know, it's a great tournament every single year. It's a lot of fun. And it's also great for guys like me who cover prospects for a living. Um, it's a great time to interact with the fans, engage. It's also a great time to, you know, uh, kind of test your hypotheses and your thoughts on players and watch them be terribly wrong. And then you have to recalibrate. <laughs> I mean, ultimately that's the most exciting part of it all. Yeah. I mean, I've been asking everybody that I have on, on different shows, it's more of a prospect person. I've been asking some variation of the same question. Who's going to be the Trevor Zagris of this tournament? <laughs> oh, yeah, that is that is that is a that is a really a really really tough question. Um, <laughs> you know what? If there is a guy who I think is just going to kind of come out of nowhere and and surprise people, it's actually going to be the presumptive first overall pick this year, Shane Wright. Shane Wright has not been a dynamic scorer with Kingston this year, but he is a ceiling raiser of his teammates. He's not this dynamic, explosive, offensive threat like we're going to see Connor Bedard is. He's more of a link between two creative players, and he's going to get those two creative guys there. And I think his play is going to reach whole new heights. You know, he's got number one line center upside. It's not always pretty, but when he gets the puck, it's going to the right place at the right time, and it's always the best play with him. Yeah, it's going to be super interesting to see how he does, because like you said, it's, it, there's not, not necessarily people soured on him, but I think people have not been hyper impressed by him this season, we'll say. Like his his offensive production has been fine, right? So yeah. this is an opportunity to get onto the biggest stage and be surrounded by a wealth of offensively talented players and maybe beat up on a relatively weak group as well because Canada lucked out pretty severely in the round, ro ro round robin section of this tournament where group B is like the group of death. So interesting situation for them. Yeah, and this is also just like a great glimpse of the future, right? Not only for Wright, but you have Connor Bedard, Matt Mishkov is going to be there, and also Delibor Dvorsky, who's the top 2005 born player from Slovakia. 
I mean, he's putting comical numbers up in the under 20 league in Sweden and he's 16 years old. So this is going to be just a, a great glimpse of what could be. I mean, and you could even argue that Canada probably should have brought Adam Fantilli and then you could have the top four guys for the 2023 NHL draft class here. Uh, uh, what could have been? Yeah, I was actually talking to Tony Ferrari earlier today and he mentioned this 2005 born kid from Slovakia. And it's just it's killing me a little bit, Mitch, because that's the year I graduated high school. And <laughs> it's it's pain. It's pain to read 2005 born in the world juniors. I don't like it. I understand we're all, we all get older and it's just life. But come on. Uh, I was I filed a game report on a bunch of 2006s the other day, and I also watched a 2007 born player. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is just getting crazy. I'm, I'm 1996, so I don't I don't feel the same impact, but I'm definitely getting to the stage of like, I actually remember I have memories of that year. It's kind of weird. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it uh, it happens to us all. I mean, when everybody's talking about like uh, Sidney Crosby and Carey Price getting like super old and they're my draft year, right? So I'm like, oh, God, you know, if, if if I had an ounce of talent and I actually had made the NHL at five foot seven, you know, I'd be the old guy now. And that is is hard to to grasp when you're like a young parent. But I digress. Uh, we're going to get back to the World Juniors in a little bit in a second here. First, I've got to do a little bit of a shout out to the SDPN app, which you can download on Android or Apple, or I guess the Apple Store. Yeah, that's what it's called. And uh, you can, from that app, you can watch the show, you can listen to the show, you can watch any other SDPN show, and you can minimize the window in your phone so that you can continue using your phone, unlike in the YouTube app, where if you try to minimize it, it just stops playing. So you can continue watching YouTube videos in the app while using other apps, which is a really good feature. And check out the SDPN store where you can get amazing Game Over merchandise. Like this beautiful mug. Uh, definitely purchase that. Support the show. And uh, before we get back to the World Junior Championships, I do want to talk about one more thing from the game. Like the only real negative thing that I wanted to talk about. Like the Sherat stuff is funny, but it's not necessarily negative because you understand that they're trying to like pump him up, right? Mike Hoffman, get him away from Nick Suzuki. <laughs> like, I don't understand. Like, I guess it's just like you want to treat the free agent well who chose to come here and he's got two more years left. So it's probably unlikely you'll be able to trade him this year and you want to get him going. He's gone now 11 games without a goal, maybe 12 games after this one. But, uh, are the Canadians noticing that every line he's on this year just gets absolutely caved in? And if you're going to put him on your first line like with your center that you're playing in tough minutes, it's just a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, Mike Hoffman doesn't have a history of this at all either, which is the shocking part. This is no, I'm just kidding. Of course, this is Mike Hoffman's <laughs> entire game. This is his thing. He's just a power play guy. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. The, the fit with Suzuki is particularly interesting just because Suzuki is, you know, he, he's very talented, very aware, very creative, but oftentimes it exists with better teammates or equally as skilled teammates. And Hoffman is very much, a, oh, here's a nice little area to stand around that I can shoot from. And Suzuki demands his line mates to move around a lot, exchange with him, be involved, have an active hand and, you know, be a give and go player. And Mike Hoffman is a, yeah, I'm not touching the puck unless it's a one-timer player. Yeah. So 
it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. And then on top of that, there's the whole defensive limitations in his game. And at some point, you know, Suzuki can uh, insulate people, but he's also about to get paid a whack load of money next season. And you really, really, really want to see what you can get here. Just put players who are going to play off him well. Like that's 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 who he needs to be with. Yeah, my my whole thing is like you have to have an eye to the future in a season like this. And I understand that <clears throat> the Canadians don't want to, you know, load up one line because they feel like that allows their younger players to get dominated by opponents. And maybe it's not uh, a situation that you can win games with, but it's seven wins in 31 games as they're going right now. So why not load up lines with, you know, have a couple kid lines and then have your line of guys that you know are going to be here next year and let them develop chemistry over time and tell them like, we're not going to break you up, figure it out, learn to play off of each other. Like it didn't work at the beginning of the season between Caulfield and Suzuki. Maybe it's time to try it again. Now that Caulfield seems to be like buzzing a little bit, trying to get shots. Maybe Suzuki's playmaking will help facilitate that a little bit. It seems to be working at least a little bit on the power play. They're not getting goals, but they're having some nice stretches. So I, I just don't understand what the thought process is with Hoffman. I guess the whole thing is like, if you put together a kid line and you put together a top line of guys that are going to stay, Hoffman ends up being a fourth line plus PP guy, which frankly is what he is, but you're paying him a fair amount of money on good terms. So Yeah, and you, you know, as <laughs> as an organization that has made plenty of these kind of interesting uh, mid-level, mid-cost signings, um, either you need to stop doing them or you need to just accept that you did them and start trying to figure out where they actually fit in your lineup, ignoring cost. And a guy like Jesse Ullinen might be a prime candidate to kind of take that spot, at least temporarily especially with how he was playing tonight. You know, the he had that great when, as you said, he basically shot the puck for Dauphin. But, you know, he made that great little play off. I think it was, was it Couturier leading up to that where he tied him up and then he spun off of him and got to the net. And that's how that whole thing the, started. Down low in the corner? No, no, no. That was, that was, that was, that was earlier. But okay, to earlier. lead up to that goal, it was in the middle of the ice. It was a really good off puck play. Something that, Nick Suzuki, for example, would be able to consistently take advantage of. And also the little little cutback that he had in the corner and then move the puck to the inside, that was great. He had like one player or whatever where he didn't move the puck fast enough when he was coming across the middle, but then later on he also cut inside and got a scoring chance, hanging onto the puck just long enough that he was able to significantly increase the odds that it was going to be a goal. I mean, there's a guy who, for all of his faults, that he's had over the years and for all of the faults of the Canadians development staff, he is a player who has consistently improved. He's, he went from being a speedy kind of outside lane guy to finding ways to consistently use his speed to get to the middle. Uh, and on top of that, you know, this off putt game wasn't a consistent feature of his game in his draft year. And he's got a big shot. He's got a cannon and having that ability to get open is only going to serve him. Well, Suzuki and him think those two would be a good fit. That's super interesting. I'd like to see them try it out. Just see what see what you have, right? Because uh, this is the one benefit of a lost season is you have a lot of time to evaluate your young players, see what's going on. Because, I mean, they just announced today, I believe, that Josh Anderson is out uh, for eight weeks dating back to when he was injured, I think December 2nd. So 
eight weeks without him, eight weeks without Toffoli. Uh, Gallagher is not coming back until next Monday, I believe. So you've got another game without Gallagher. There's things that you can try. And I think that's what most people are most frustrated with Ducharme about, is it seems like there's not a lot of creativity in what they're trying to accomplish here and why they maybe want to see coaching change. Because you do want to get something out of this season outside of just the draft pick, right? You want to see some development, some chemistry. You want to see some players playing with pride, which I think they did tonight, which was good to see because the last couple of games were pretty ugly outside of the Tampa Bay game. So there's there's good things to talk about, so we won't dwell on the negative, but uh, Mike Hoffman, I'm just... It's hard, it's hard to watch him on the top line and the effort that he gives at even strength. So let's get back to the World Juniors a little bit. And I wanted to ask you about Brant Clark because there's a lot of people making a huge deal about Canada leaving him off. And I totally get it because his numbers are pretty wild and he seems to be a really highly touted prospect. I talked to, like I mentioned earlier, Tony Ferrari earlier today, and he was saying that the defensive issues that he has are real, but also present in like half of the other defensemen that Team Canada brought to the table for the their roster. Would you agree? Was this like a huge deal that they left him off? Well, yeah, I mean, it's bad. Like from a from a purely hockey sp- hockey perspective, it's bad because he a very dynamic playmaker. He feeds off of his forwards really well. Like this is a guy who's a defenseman who's so advanced that he's going to be able to make plays that very other like. Owen Power won't make the plays that Brant Clark is going to make as a playmaker from the point. And Owen Power is a very, very good playmaker. So there is that limitation, you know, leaving him home does prevent that also prevents, you know, he's a right shot and being a right shot at the blue line does have some interesting benefits. Uh, you know, especially if Brant Clark's guy likes to move, he likes to roam around that handedness, that situation is going to allow him to manipulate players on either side of the ice. So he would create a ton of offense. Now the limitations are real. I think it's more than just defense. Uh, A lot of his defensive issues are from skating, not because he can't read it. It's not that he's has a bad stride or anything. It's that he is always on his inside edges. And so when you're always on your inside edges and you go to engage like off the rush, you stop on your inside edges. And that means that you're going to get beat because think of it like your chest is facing to parallel to the boards now and so, and your feet are split open. So a player can put the puck through your legs, go outside, go inside, whatever. And then on top of that, it also prevents him from finding separation on retrievals, which makes him a bit of a headache, you know, taking pucks off the backboard and stuff. He's a, he's a great playmaker, but there are some breakout and defensive issues that are problematic. But as Tony said, they aren't idiosyncratic to him on, on this roster. Uh, Caden Gooley has the same sort of transition breakout issues. Uh, Carson Lambos has very similar transition breakout issues and some defensive things. Ryan O'Rourke has some puck handling issues. Then you can see where I'm going here. You can literally just yep. go down the entire list and find players. So this is the, their defensive core is basically going to be the Owen Power Show uh, is what I'm saying. And hopefully Olin Zellweger. Um, I hope that he can kind of make up for some of the offense that, uh, they're leaving at home with Clark, but on top of that, Zellweger is, he might be their best, uh, breakout technician that they brought. Uh, he's super high pace, uses the middle regularly. He's going to be 
a key part of their success. Like if they're going, if they're going to win gold and they're going to do it in dominant fashion, it's likely because Zelliger is playing top four minutes either with power or Gooley and thriving. Interesting. Uh, what did you think about uh, Joshua Wall being cut? Did, was he a guy that you expected to make the team? Because obviously this is a Canadian show, so we have to focus on the Canadians' prospects. And he's a guy who seemingly has had a incredible breakout season. Yeah, uh, yeah. So there are a lot of un- there are a lot of uh, underlying factors for his breakout. Um, and I, I think David Saint Louis he wrote a great article on him, and I think he kind of he mentioned that the way that he's scoring isn't exactly conducive to scoring in the NHL. Um, and so in the case of, in the case of Joshua law, he's definitely on the team next year, provided he keeps this up. He's just a bit of a a low pace, you know, high volume, inefficient shooter kind of guy. And they clearly valued more, uh, big burly, uh, physical players with some Swiss army knife types, you know, Will Cooley's Ridley Gregg's Elliot Desnoyers, uh, even Justin Sordiff, although he's a bit of he's a bit of an extreme example because he does have that top six skill. So next year will be his year. I don't think it was. I think it was probably the right decision. Uh, but shout out to Brennan Othman. They should have brought Brennan Othman over a bunch of guys here. He's scoring a lot, and he's uh, he fits the Hockey Canada mold of random acts of violence. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that Gooley kind of fits that a little bit too, but <laughs> not necessarily the whole like uh, like hyper physical, but he, that he's just an asshole. <laughs> Oh yeah, Gooley is uh, Gooley is unbelievably violent, uh, like <laughs> exceptionally violent. The, I I've never seen a player at, at this level be this like comically like destructive. It's it's insane. Like if you simply existing, like it, he takes that personally and he wants to fix that mistake. Like if you're alive, <laughs> you're you're done with. Like. He's, he's an interesting, a very interesting player. Uh, the other thing though, is that he's very disciplined. Uh, we'll see about like the head contact thing. I don't imagine he's going to be taking these big runs at international hockey, just like how he wasn't taking them last year, even though it's a big part of his game in junior. Um, so, you know, he's also a great defender. Like this is a guy who, uh, good luck getting by him. I think at the last tournament, he only allowed like two controlled entries in seven games. And then this year he's doing the same, he's doing the same thing in the WHL actually have a video on it on our YouTube page. Uh, I think it's up to 40,000 views, which Habs fans are crazy. I love it. Uh, (laughs) And Gooley, you know, he just does so many things on the defensive end that are going to benefit team Canada, provided that you can insulate him with someone who is going to bring a little bit more of a spark with the puck. All right. So we're looking at Gooley Zellweger. That's, that's the pairing we want to see for team Canada. Uh, anybody else catching your eye in the tournament before we log off here for the night? Cause I've kept you long, but, uh, anybody else in the tournament that you are ex- extremely excited to watch? I've heard a lot about Mitchkov. I mean, I honestly, this is, this is my stuff. I could sit here and talk about it all night, but I'll, I'll give, I'll go with two names. So the first one is Leanne Bixell. He's a 2004, 2022 draft eligible representing Switzerland. He already plays in the SHL. He's big. I think he's like six foot five or something. Um, he's very involved in the play, like just nonstop activation, trying to make skill plays happen. He's a guy who I think like this tournament, even though he's likely just to play five games because they're probably going to get eliminated. Um, he could really, really improve his stock. You know, he, he's got a ton of talent for the frame and he's also got a ton of talent. If you completely ignore the size, so very interesting player. Wouldn't be surprised if he's a top 20 pick in a few months or in, in June, I guess. 
And then the other name that I'm very excited to see is Simone Edmondson. Uh, he is the top prospect for the Detroit Red Wings now, I guess, because Raymond and Sider have both graduated and are both doing fantastic. Edmondson is just everywhere on the ice at once. He's playing in the SHL. He's 18 years old, and he is already the hub through which his team's offense flows. Like he's in the middle of every sequence, every action. Uh, he's he's electrifying to watch. Like some of these sequences that he has, where he's dangling through well-gapped defenders, he's creating chances out of thin air. Like we're talking manipulating the feet of guys, sending them flying the wrong way, and then passing against the grain for a scoring chance. Uh, he definitely could, uh, you know, I think his stock is already sky high, but this could cement him as a, as a likely top pairing guy. And he has a real good chance of being the top defenseman at this tournament alongside, uh, Jake Sanderson power and Topi Niemela. Interesting. All right. Awesome. I can't wait to talk about world juniors. It's going to be extremely fun. Can't wait to talk about a team with expectations, but uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to cut it there. Uh, everyone have a good night. Thanks for tuning in before we leave. Obviously uh, you can check out uh, game over international. You can search it. I don't think it's been accepted yet on Apple or Google, but it's on red circles. Uh, it'll be up on Spotify and Apple podcasts and Google podcasts shortly, but uh, yeah, check that out. And also it'll be on this page. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash SDPN. And uh, check out the Discord as well. There's an invite link on sdpn.ca. And obviously, check out Mitch's work. Mitch, uh, you want to tell everybody where they where they can find everything? Yeah, go go on Twitter. Find me at Mitch L. Brown. And then head to YouTube. Go to Elite Prospects. We got a bunch of great videos. One on Connor Bedard. One by one by Davis St. Louis on uh, Matt Vay Mishkov. Of course, we got the Ghoulie video, Simone Edvinson video. And then go to epringside.com. That's where all of our written content is. And soon we're going to have a nice world junior section full of player breakdowns, quotes from coaches and so on. It's going to be a great time. I hope you join us. Awesome. Thanks so much. And I can't wait to talk to you again. I think the next time we talk, it's going to be covering the world juniors on Boxing Day. So, hell yeah. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll see you on Saturday.